All right, as we enter this morning, we've witnessed a wild ride with Abraham and his family, have we not? Um, if you're a guest of ours, we've been in a series where we've been walking with God and we've been watching the journey that God took his family Abraham on and took him as a man. And if, you're, if you've been with us, you've, you've been willing to see that, that the, the ride and the journey that God called him onto was one that um, cannot be defined as comfortable. In fact, God called Abraham out of comfort and led his family to a place that didn't look at all what he thought it would be. And this story is laced with multiple things. It's laced with this God calling and making promises and then human interference and human scandal and then the blessed assurance of God. And I just want to ask before we go any further with this series, is this not our story too? Is this not our story? That God calls us out of places that are comfortable and he wants to do things in and through us and he wants to use us and work to reveal himself to the world around us that's dying and in need of hope. But sometimes that, that calling out of that lack of comfort is a, a scary, difficult B and it takes our trust and our faith. So I can relate to Abraham quite a bit. I've related through this series as I've witnessed God step in to Abram's life repeatedly after he has interpreted what God wanted and God has to give him grace to write it all. And you'd think that last week if you were here, you saw after 25 years, like a promise is made to Abraham and 25 years later, it comes to fruition. You'll have a, you'll have a son and through that son, you're going to have many descendants. And you would think that at the end of of Last week, we'd have this pretty little bow tied right around this whole thing, right? You would think that after 25 years of waiting, the sun shows up, we can tie a bow in the series and everyone walks out, right? How many of us want that to be our lives with the Lord? A pretty red bow around everything we go through. But of course, that's not the end of the story, though today will be the end of our series, there's one more paramount picture that has to be sh shown and we have to witness after the promised son shows up in Scripture. And it's found in Genesis 22. And I just want to read the first verse to you. Okay? Genesis 22.1. After all Abram has gone through, starts like this. And after these things, all those things we've been witnessing for weeks now, God tested Abraham. What? Right? I mean, like, another test? Really? Like, what could this test be? Like, after all that we've been through and the, and the son of promise finally shows up, this journey with God means what? One more test. And here's the test. Verse 2. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on the mountain that I will tell you about. Another test. Are you kidding me? And the test is, take the thing that you waited on. The thing, the miracle, the thing that only I could give you that I told you about, and I want you to sacrifice it back to me. Here's the test. Do you want God? Do we want God? Or do we simply want what God can give us? Do we simply want what God can do for us? This is the test. And it's actually a test that we all commonly face. Do we want him and do we want the relationship that he expects of us? One where we 
truly serve him as God and we willingly submit and come around him and worship him and our existence is to honor him and bring glory to the world around us to him or, or do we want Santa Claus? You know what I'm talking about? A faith that says, look, you're really here for me. I'll turn to you only when I need you. And that's typically going to be in crisis. I need you to bring me the things I ask for as I sit on your lap and we'll be fine. Hello? So do we worship him or do we actually ask him to worship us? His design for our lives is intended to be the former. But our flesh and our daily struggle, unfortunately, is the latter. So here's our first point this morning. God's never done purifying us. God's never done purifying us. This morning, God tested Abraham. Why? Because he was still purifying him. I would love to believe, how many of you have ever been to that youth rally where uh, you heard someone cry out, whom shall we send? Who will go for us? And then, you know, everyone like cheers, like throws their arms up like, here am I, send me. You know what I'm talking about? Like everyone's got their Jesus is my homeboy t-shirt on and they got their water pistols ready to storm hell. It's like, I'll go. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Okay. If we knew the gravitas of that passage, if we knew the true weight behind what Isaiah was revealing in chapter six in his calling, in God calling him to himself, if we knew the true weight, we probably wouldn't approach it like that. We look at the beginning of Isaiah 6 and he says, Woe is me for I'm undone. My, my lips are unclean. I'm idolatrous. I've worshipped the wrong man for my eyes have seen the king, the true king. And it says the angel flew towards him taking a live coal from the altar of God and seared his lips, removing the flesh. And that is an image, a picture of how painful it is to have our flesh and our struggle removed. Is it hard to have your flesh removed? Is it difficult to die to yourself? Okay, here's the thing. Um, God is incredibly sensitive and incredibly concerned about your motives and my motives. The first and greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your strength. Love the Lord your God with all. And so God is concerned about our motives. In fact, let me, uh, let me throw it out. Let me be honest. You know, um, I, <laughs> I've been on Facebook. I've, I've watched this. It, it, do we have any Facebook trolls here? Any social media trolls and trolling folks? Okay, if you did, you might find out for those seated around you, not directly next to you, and definitely not you, but you might find that we are a people that love ourselves. We love ourselves quite a bit. And in fact, on our social media statuses, because here's the thing, who really believes that social media is true? Right? Okay, so we show the world just how much we love ourselves. And I mean, I know me and I want to post things that show and brag a little bit about my exceptional life because I know me and I love me. Right. You don't know me quite as well. I know you not as well as I'd like, but I can see that you love you. Even this morning. 
when you give someone a platform like this, as much as, as much as, and let me be completely honest, as much as I desire deeply that God would speak to the heart of every single person here, it was my prayer this morning that God, you'd open the ears of our heart, that we would not be caught up by anything other than your voice and that you would pursue us like a lover pursues those they are after. And that you would come after us with the sacred romance by which you created us and you would find us where we meet. But even God, do not let me get in the way. Please, God, don't let me get in the way. But there's this part of me, you know, that I have to fight against. And I think any person, any human who takes a stage like this fights it. 99% of me is like, God, please have your way. But that 1% of me is like, God, tell them how awesome I am. Let them see, you know. If I'm honest, right? Can we be that honest this morning? Can we be honest this morning? We have to be honest with ourselves. That God is never done purifying us. And after 25 years of waiting and the promise finally shows up, and not just in the sun, but the, this is not all the promises of descendants and all the promise of the land and nationhood is wrapped up in this this. Uh, picture of Isaac. And so it's not just that, that we're going to sacrifice the son that you love. We're going to sacrifice every promise with it. So the thing you've waited on now for decades, take that thing, that only thing that I could give you, the miracle, your son, the promise, and the covenant that is embodied in him, and I want you to give it back to me. James 1 reminds us that he is constantly in a perfecting process with us. It says it like this, Consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and that endurance, when it has full effect, will mature you, complete you, and leave you lacking nothing. It will perfect you. In 1 Peter 1, it says it like this. You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. So that the proven character of your faith is more valuable than gold, which, through per though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Listen, I need to be purified of my own selfish ways, my own tendencies to worship myself, my own desire for recognizing how awesome I am. Anyone else here? have those same tendencies. This, this means yes. Okay? All right? And so, so Plato and Socrates said this. They said, know thyself. Know thyself. In fact, Plato went on to say it like this, that it would be a travesty for you to know a ton of really neat facts about ornate things, but never know yourself. And so uh, Thomas Mann said it like this. God demands that Abraham kill his only son within the context of this cycle. God demands Abraham kill the promises that God has made as well and thus return to a state that, at the end of which is a primordial cycle. Of course, son and promises cannot be separated, but the weight and the meaning that lies in the fact that Isaac is a gift who embodies God's promises of blessing, land, and nationhood, the test is one of obedience and of trust. Do we trust, do we trust God? 
Do we trust God to shape us to where we'd be obedient even if we didn't know where God was leading us and he only gave us enough light to see the next step in our path we'd still follow? That's the story of Abraham and that's the story that he's called us into. Thomas Mann goes on and he says this, in essence, it is a test of Abraham's relationship to Yahweh. It asks whether Abraham's trust is really in God and not simply in what God has promised. Abraham has built altars before and sacrificed to this God when God renewed those promises. But now, is he willing now to build an altar and sacrifice the promises themselves embodied in Isaac in order to demonstrate his unswerving trust in the God who stands behind said promises? Verse 3 of chapter 22, it says, So Abraham got up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took him two young men and his son Isaac. He split the wood for a burnt offering and set out to go to the place that God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there to worship, and then we'll come back to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac in his hand, he took a fire and the knife, and the two of them walked together. Then Isaac spoke to his father Abraham and said, My father. And he replied, Here I am, son. Isaac said, the, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Then the two of them walked on together. When they arrived at that place that God had told him about, God built the altar there and arranged the wood. He bound his son Isaac and placed him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out, took the knife to slaughter his son. Point two, God is never done preparing us. In everything in this life with God, it is a teaching moment. Have you learned this yet? In every moment with God, how many of us have ever asked God, why is this happening to me? Hands up a little higher, because I think there's more of us. Yeah. Like, we've asked why, but maybe the question shouldn't be why. It's like, what am I to learn in this? The faith of Abraham is evident in his obedience. I, I want to unpack this. You see, what is taking place, what we're witnessing here is Abraham is told something by God. And how many of you have ever had an emotional response to God? Maybe a little bit like that youth rally I just said, spoke of, okay? An emotional response, like, yeah, I'll do it. But then when you have a chance in the quiet to rethink and, and you consider the cost, like you count everything that it may mean for you, you kind of start to backpedal and come up with a ton of reasons and justifications as to why you should not follow through in obedience, is that just me or anyone else know what I'm talking about? Okay. All right. So, so Abraham has a three-day journey. This is, this is an amazing picture here. And the scripture does not unpack, though we are left to assume it is implied, how emotional this must be for him. He's not some robot just saying yes and walking through it all. This is his son that he's about to sacrifice. And it's not like it was like the day after the, or even eight days after the promised son shows up in chapter 21 and he's been circumcised and now it's like, go sacrifice your son. That's not it. This is some 20 years later. Many commentators believe it was at least, at least 15 years, but we know that it was no longer than 37 years later because his mother is gonna die when he's 37 years old. So somewhere between, we know Isaac is a man. 
And we know that Abraham has had a lot of time to get to know his son and fall in love with his son and, and, and spend time with his son, teaching his son. And now God is calling him to give him back. And so he is walking three days and he stops and he asks the servants to stop because this isn't about his servants. This is about him, his son, and his God. And he walks with a really resolute manner towards the place that God revealed to him, Mount Moriah. And then, then in, on, on way, again, we're talking about an adult is walking with his son. In their terms, a man was 13 years old. So we're talking an adult who's been taught and has seen burnt offerings before, who's been taught to sacrifice by his father. When he asks with inquisition, it's not because he's concerned and doesn't understand where the lamb is. He goes, hey, we've done this before, Dad. This isn't our first rodeo. I see the wood and I see the knife. I see the fire. Where's the lamb that we're offering? He's saying, it's me. I know that I've got to lay down on this wood. I just want to hear you say it. How many parents could be able to hear their, their child ask you such a question and you would answer with God will provide? God will provide. How difficult, how, how torn are both men as they walk into this example? Because quite honestly, we have to recognize how old Abraham is now and how his crippled body is no match for Isaac's young strapping manhood. In the faith of Isaac to lay down on the wood and allow his father to bind him as he raises the blade, probably shaking above his son. Here's the thing that we must recognize. Something is being passed on here. When you hear of the covenant of, from Genesis, we hear of the covenant and it says, the covenant was the father, we serve the God of Abraham and the next name is what? Isaac and then Jacob. The patriarch is actually passing on his faith right now. As much as God has prepared Abraham and as difficult as this test is, Abraham is being used and faithfully walking through obedience to pass on his faith to his son. And he doesn't allow, he doesn't allow his ego to get in the way. I was reminded as we went to the main event this weekend with the men, which was an amazing experience, by the way. Please be praying for our men as they, they heard from some really gifted communicators about what it means to act like a man and walk that out. Ted DiBiase reminded us that ego is, every, is that place where we automatically edge God out. You ever done that? You ever allowed your ego to get in the way? I mean, we all have an ego. Can we admit that? Specifically, if you, have to, if you lead in any capacity, you have an ego. The key is keeping your ego in check. The key is putting your ego aside to where we actually obediently follow God versus edging him out of the equation. And here, Abram has an opportunity to either pass on his ego because the miraculous son of promise who was gifted to barren parents who were old and old in age, through whom everything about the promised land and the descendants is going to come. Abraham could pass along his ego to this gift to the world, or he could pass along his faith. Let me ask you, 
What are we passing along to our kids? How, how are we responding in such a way that God's prepared us so that we might prepare them? Like Abraham is passing along to Isaac and Isaac willingly lays down because they both believe, they both trust a miracle is about to happen because not only is the son to die, but everything with it if he dies. So either the blade can't break the skin or he dies and God's going to bring him back to life. Something miraculous is going to happen. And they believe in miracles because they've already seen miracles. Isaac was a miracle in himself. What are we passing on to our kids? Do we believe in the God of miracles? Do we believe in the one who makes promises to us and we believe that we're in relationship, no matter how we might fail him, he'll never fail us. So we walk obediently even when we don't know the end of the story. We follow wherever he lead, however he call, because he is God and we are not. And we pass that on to our kids. Uh Uh-oh. Right? I've met some people who worship their kids, love their kids. How many of you know somebody like that? Not you, but know someone, right? And this would be difficult. Let me just ask you what and in what way you're teaching your kid. Does your kid know that deliberately, no matter how And without all the answers, God doesn't have to check with you first, need your advice or approval. You'll follow him no matter what. And it's more than just through church attendance. It's more than just praying before a meal. That we as a church are Bible-centered, and so you have opened that into your home to where your kids go, are we Bible-centered within our house? Do we allow the truth to be the truth, or are we just being objective and determining truth ourselves? You know what I'm saying? How often do you pour over the scriptures with your your own kids? How do they see you study? How do they see you struggle? How do they see you walk with God in this faith journey and they watch you wrestle with it? And how honest are you with them? How many of you would say, if I were honest with my kids, I'd have to tell them it's way more difficult to follow God than I ever thought, but it's worth it. Is it worth it? And you give that hope to your kids because... The, th- the third point is really important. God's never done providing for us. God's never done purifying us. God's never done preparing us so that we can prepare the generations behind us. But God's never done providing for us. The key to the entire passage is found in verse 12. Verse 11 says this, Then the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him, for I know now that you fear God, since you've not withheld your only son from me. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram, offered it as a burnt offering in that place with his son. And Abraham named the place the Lord will provide. And so today, it will be provided on the Lord's mountain. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, this is the Lord's declaration, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your only son from me. I will indeed bless you, 
and make your offspring as numerous as the stars and the sky and the sand of the seashore. Your offspring will possess the city gates of their enemies and all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring because you have obeyed my command. Now, I want, I want this entire experience, like the, the walk to Mount Moriah to come. We, we need to give it a, a little bit of a Canaanite lens, a Canaanite lens. Those that live in Canaan were called oftentimes to sacrifice human sacrifice. They believed in a God called El, and El, if he ever provided the God of fertility, if he provided, it was not uncommon for the God, small g of El, to ask back a portion of what he'd given. And so the death of the firstborn was a common practice in Canaan, and as well as like offering grain and offering, you know, whatever they had gathered materially. But human sacrifice was a part of the Canaanite view. So maybe this is why, although emotional, we see Abraham respond in just an obedience because he was never supposed to have the son in the first place. Maybe he's like, well, I've seen this before. All the gods that are worshipped in Canaan by the enemies of the people of God, by the enemies of God, the enemies of Abraham, they are familiar with human sacrifice. Here's the thing that's amazing. Our God calls for human sacrifice of the Son who embodies the promise and through him will inherit the land and all his descendants after him. It's as if God calls Abraham, the one who he's gifted this land to, to do just like the gods of the Canaanites. But then when he doesn't take his life, it's as if God is saying, I'm not that God. That's not me. And I need all of Canaan to see that. I'm about to gift this land to you. I'm about to give it to you. I'm about to give you what they couldn't hold on to. And I'm sovereign over everything. I'm sovereign over all gods. And though they may, they may do practices that hurt my heart, I created the children that they've sacrificed back to a false god in my image. I need all the world to watch you be willing, but then let me save the son and keep the promise intact. And I will continue to bless just as I said I would. I just need to know that you're willing because I am not that God. I will always provide. Provides a ram when it's least expected and the two worship together on said mountain. How many of you think that Isaac, as he's looking at that blade and he watches his father respond with that crippled hand to the angel he may have gone, wait, God, you, are you talking to God right now, Dad? You talking to God? Please say you're talking to God. And, you know, like, hey, there's a ram. God will provide. Walton said it like this, in the Canaanite worldview, though the world around us worships gods that they sacrifice at their altars all the time, we serve a God who's not that God. But how do we worship at his altar? How does the world see us worship at his altar? The main point of this entire passage in, is verse 12. Like I said, it says, For I know that you fear God, and that you've not withheld your only son from me. Because of your obedience, you've not withheld from me. And Abraham responds by calling God Yahweh Yireh, the Lord will provide. 
In verse 16, it says, the covenant is renewed and it's intact. It says that Yahweh swears an oath by his own name. This has never previously been done. God says, not only am I gonna keep this commandment, but I'm gonna swear by my own name. How many times do we see in scripture where God says, don't take an oath? Here he responds by his own name and says, I'll keep it. Then he says, there's the reiteration of Abraham's descendants having the promise, the, uh, the, the full effect being renewed and it all came because of an active part of God welcoming Abraham into obedience and joining him in what he wanted to do so that God could provide and show that he himself is God and he's like no other God and, and remind Abraham and maybe this morning remind us that we're in a covenant relationship with a God who will not fail us despite how we fail him. Is that good news? Is that good news? Let me wrap up the entire series right now in this talk. Here it is. This is how I'd put it. How many of you have ever been to Disney World? Okay. How many of you have ever saved your life savings to go stay at a Disney resort and plan a trip to the Magic Kingdom? You know what I'm talking about? Like, because it takes your life savings, right? Like, I mean, it's, we can either retire one day or go to Disney, you know? Okay. Nobody, nobody that I've ever talked to And I grew up in Orlando. No one I've ever talked to planned the trip of a lifetime to Disney to ride the monorail. You know what I'm saying? We don't do that. We plan the trip of a lifetime to ride Space Mountain. You know what I'm saying? Like the monorail is safe and quick. And if you've ever been to Disney, overcrowded, right? But it's sole function, its sole point is to move from one destination to an ending destination. It is solely a vehicle to move you from one place to another. That's it. And nobody, nobody pays money and saves to introduce your kids to the monorail. But Space Mountain, we're going to stand in line for hours losing weight because it's hot out here to walk inside to an indoor coaster that is going to take us through hills and turns and, and make our stomach turn upside down in the dark, only lighting that which is right in front of us. And when the ride is over comes the letdown. Hello? It's when the ride is over comes the letdown. See, with the roller coaster, the point of the ride is the ride itself. It's how it can take thrill seekers and give them their adrenaline push. It's how, it's how like even the commoner who's not a thrill seeker can overcome their next fear by getting on a ride because someone coerced them, you know? You survived it. You did good. But it's all about the hills, the turns, the flips. It's all about the ride itself. And our life with God is far more like a roller coaster than is a monorail, Right? Even if we were honest enough to admit that we all would rather life with God to be pretty predictable like the monorail. Don't we all? And here's the question. What are you passing on to your kids? Are you passing on to your kids? Walking with God is like a roller coaster or it's safe and clean and quick and it moves from one destination to the the other. It might get a little overcrowded at points, but for the most part, it is safe. If that's what we pass on to our kids, we're lying to them. That's not what Scripture reveals about our God, and it's not what Scripture reveals about a walk with Him. 
Our walk with God looks far more like the walk that we see Abraham take. And it is far more about turns and twists and uncertainty in the dark. Though he knows what lies ahead, our obedience to trust him and just enjoy the ride. So here's my question to you this morning. Do you want him or do you simply want what he can do for you? Even if he doesn't ask for your permission in advance or give you advice or ask for your advice or ask for, you know, your approval, is it okay that he be God and we be subservient? Do you want him in a covenant relationship with someone who will never let you down, no matter how many times you fail them, or do you just want what he can give you? Do we trust? And will we respond when we don't know the end of our immediate story. Even if, unlike the promised son showing up, is not the end of the story and the bow can't be wrapped, he's going to call for us to sacrifice it again just to see if we're willing. I don't know what he's calling you in your flesh to sacrifice. I don't know what ego in your life needs to be placed in this altar just so you can re-engage in the ride that you're on with him. And I don't know if we need to confess this morning, God, we've been approaching you like the monorail and we've been passing that on to our kids. But anything with you is anything but safe. You've called us to trust you at a place where we don't know the end so that we can reveal you to the world around us and the generations coming behind us. Will we trust you when we don't know the end of the story and we only have that which is right in front of us? Is that enough to follow God? That's the question. It was for Abraham. Abraham was willing to follow when he didn't know the end of the story. Will we? So this morning, if you're here and you go, I have a lot to consider. If I'm honest with myself, I've got a lot to consider. There are some things that need to be placed at the very altar of God. And I've been here before, but I don't want to take it back. Maybe that's the thing. Maybe what needs to be put down here is the fact that God's been trying to purify you, but you've been fighting him at every turn. Maybe the thing that you need to put at the altar today is that God has been preparing you for the next thing, but you've not been joining him in it. And the th- Maybe God's doing something in your kids, but you've not been passing on the roller coaster. You've been passing on the monorail. And maybe, maybe we've not praised him enough for the fact that he always provides. How many of you know that God is always on time? He's never not been on time. And this morning in our response to him, we need to be able to thank him. So as we open this altar, we should be a people obedient and honest enough to lay down whatever it is that we've continued to hold up to him and put it down and say, no, nothing but you. You are my God with all my heart, with all my mind, with all my strength, with all my will, I follow you. And even if I don't know how it ends, I trust you. Maybe we come to the the altar today and we go to the table and we go, God, I thank you that you always provide, praise you that you're worthy. Father, this morning, I don't know how you're calling your individual people to respond, but this is your church, and today we celebrate six years. 
God, I don't know what the next 60 years look like, but I know that you're doing a work and you're in our midst and your spirit is evident with the fellowship of Mount Julia. And today, as we sit here under the voice of this microphone and as the band is about to come and they're gonna pray a prayer over us as they play, will we be a people individually unconcerned with how our neighbor responds, not even if that neighbor is our spouse? How do you desire for us to respond to you? What are you calling for us to lay back down at your feet so that you can continue to purify us and we'll stop fighting you? What do we need to do to embrace the process of you preparing us for the next thing? And even though we don't know what the end of the journey looks like, we only see that which is right in front of us. That's what you promised. We still believe in your promises and we'll follow willingly. This morning, we love you. Come move in our midst. Spirit come in Jesus' name.